Greetings and welcome to another edition of the Thinking Spatially podcast series. The Thinking Spatially podcast series, where we think spatially across space, across time, and across scales, from local to global scales. Today's episode is about teaching geoethics. Teaching geoethics. Greetings, everyone. Welcome. It's an honor to be with all of you. Key to understanding any message, including its ethical implications, is to understand the author as well as the content that you are learning from. So, to that end, allow me to share my pathway briefly. It is one that includes four major sectors of society nonprofit organizations, government agencies, academia, including teaching primary and secondary professional development institutes, and working in universities and community and technical and tribal colleges and in private industry, serving on the ESRI education team. My government experience includes NOAA, the U.S. Census Bureau, and the U.S. Geological Survey. My nonprofit experience includes the National Council for Geographic Education, the AAG, the Society for Conservation, GIS, and others. My interest in understanding the world through mapping goes back to my younger, <laughs> 20th century days when I would spend weeks working on a single large map on large poster board. My maps were made with colored pencils, pens, and regular pencils. I had street names, harbors, rail yards, buttes, mesas, cuestas, rivers, bays, and even address ranges. I even named all of my streets. Stemming from my tenure as a cartographer and geographer for NOAA, the U.S. Census Bureau, and the USGS, I have a long-standing interest in data having created it at those agencies and using it in all of those organizations, and to my present role at ESRI. What is data and how can it be used, and what are its ethical implications? A colleague and I, Jill Clark, wrote a book for ESRI Press entitled The GIS Guide to Public Domain Data, and although that title sounds a bit dry, I believe that the weaving of data, ethics, and GIS is more important now than ever before. Our Spatial Reserves data blog, you can look that up, Spatial Reserves, contains over 12 years of over 400 short essays that focus on where can I find spatial data, how do I know if, my data, if that data is any good, and societal issues including ethics, copyright, location privacy, fee versus free, and more. Number one, why do ethics matter in teaching with geospatial technology? Well, first of all, knowing that maps are powerful means of communication, you should take that responsibility as map author seriously. Take that responsibility seriously. With great capacity or great capability comes great responsibility. Number two, everyone is now a map producer, not just the ordnance surveys, the USGSs, and the Rand McNallys of the world, but everyone. Given this, what then are the implications for data quality and ethics? Number three, maps still have an aura of authenticity. They tend to be believed. An aura of authenticity. They tend to be believed. Take that responsibility seriously and do not intentionally or unintentionally mislead your audience through the mapping work that you're doing. Maps are representations of reality. They're only representations. They're not reality. They're very useful representations to be sure, but they're only representations. A good map teaches you to ask a better question. That's from my cartography colleague, Charlie Fry, here at ESRI. 
A good map teaches you to ask a better question. This is a key time to teach ethics, given, number one, the rise in geo-awareness and geotechnologies to a cloud-based platform in society, number two, new codes of ethics and mapmakers mantras that are available now, and number three, new initiatives, the American Geographical Society's Ethical Geo Column, ESRI's Social Science Inclusion Efforts, and the AAG ESRI Geoethics Summit at UCSB that I recently participated in and from which a paper was produced that is available for public comment. Number two, how can I effectively teach ethics through GIS? Well, number one, through non-GIS and through GIS courses. And number two, in interesting and practical ways through examining data, through hands-on activities, reflections, discussions, and presentations. My tenet is, a, is as follows. Ethics is too important to be relegated to a place at the end of any course. Integrated into any course, it really should be integrated into any course that asks where and where communication matters. And I would argue that any course is fundamentally tied to ethics. Consider the following questions as you grapple with and teach about ethics by getting personal, location privacy. Number one, how many of your phone apps are sharing your location right now? Hmm, do you share your fitness walks, runs, and cycle rides? If you did, would it matter if you shared those? And number two, modern GIS workflows with cloud-based tools allow us not just to make a map in minutes, which is amazing to me, but to share the map in seconds. When should you share your map data? Who should you share it with? When should you not share your data? When should you not share your maps? Use the think method, T-H-I-N-K. Is the map true, T, helpful, I-H, help, inspiring, I, necessary, N, and kind, K, think, T-H-I-N-K, true, helpful, inspiring, necessary, and kind. Some maps, admittedly, are just for fun, but fun is at times necessary too, so I stand by the necessary component. For example, you get, I get, others get posts about, hey, the Weremu was in 1899, December 31, at two different centuries, two different hemispheres in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and at two different time periods. Well, perhaps. These are fun kinds of posts, but I would also look at them in a critical way. One effective technique that I've used, and perhaps you have as well, in your instruction is to show bad maps. I have numerous sets online. Bad maps abound, but even live data feeds can be an error. For example, I have an example that I frequently show of a temperature reading of about 3200 degrees in the middle of Texas with the wind speed at 255 miles an hour and the precipitation rate at numerous, numerous meters per second. Anyway, all of the temperature readings in there, all the weather readings are in error except for the pressure. That's the only thing that's normal. The point is even Internet of Things feeds can be in error. Sometimes maps look good, but their legend is indecipherable. Sometimes the colors makes no sense, make no sense. Sometimes the class classification method or the projection is makes no sense. Maps are should be designed to lend clarity, to lend understanding to a problem, not to make things more confusing. The four C's of data quality might be useful in our discussion here today. Number one, complete. Is everything here that's supposed to be here on this map coherent? Does all of the data add up? And, be, and, and, and make something understandable. Correct. Are these, in fact, the right values? And number four, accountable, which 
You have to take the second C in accountable. Can we trace the data, the lineage, the history, the, the four C's of data quality? Imagery is often regarded as truth, but also must be viewed critically. I have numerous examples of imagery being intentionally offset from vectors, or selectively offset from vectors, or selectively removed items such as moving vehicles. For example, if the Department of Transportation wants to look at moving vehicles removed, in other words, to see the pavement underneath, they're going to remove the vehicles. So the point is, these these images can be manipulated, not necessarily for nefarious reasons, but for legitimate reasons, but they're not the same kind of image that you would see if you were peering over the aircraft or the satellite looking at the ground. Data could also be intentionally faked. I've got examples on that Spatial Reserves blog about imprints of images from halfway around the world set on top of Tacoma, Washington, such as Dr. Zhao recently wrote about. Or the person in Berlin who carted a red wagon of phones to make Google Maps show traffic congestion as a result of those phones now showing, ooh, slow movement through the city. They're all moving at two miles an hour. Key information also may, may be left out of the metadata. Sometimes information can only be gained by talking to the data creator with an old-fashioned call, as was the case when I was revising my Lyme disease map of Rhode Island. The rates look like they decreased from the 1990s to the 2000s. Hey, good news, right? However, it was a result of less funding for monitoring Lyme disease cases in the 2000s. Only the phone call helped me verify that. That was not part of the metadata. So sometimes talking to the data creator is essential. Another effective teaching technique is to make clear that even when you are mapping your own data, data quality and ethical decisions frequently arise, as I point out, when I go out into the field and some of my own positions are in error. Use case studies in your ethics instruction. One set is from David DiBiase at Penn State. It includes such thought-provoking scenarios such as, a GIS analyst is asked to exclude pertinent data from maps prepared for a public hearing, or researchers track mobile phone users' movements to derive predictive models of human mobility, or a government agency's need to recoup user fees conflicts with a public records law, or a scope of work statement and established mapping procedures prevent a GIS analyst from adding wetlands to a conservation database, and more. Each clearly presents the situation along with supportive maps and references in brief but pointed ways sparking wonderful discussions. Another set is an eight-part series on geoprivacy from Dr. Seidel in my own state of Colorado. Topics covered include smart energy tracking and a bicycle theft resulting from a social media ad. I, found, I find them all to be personal and disturbing, but relevant and important to discuss. One of the most intriguing videos features a mock interview with a repo man, an employee for a vehicle repossession company, talking about his use of automated license plate readers or ALPR technology. The interviewee discusses how the camera system on his spotter car continuously collects license plate data, along with location, time, date, and photographs of all cars along his daily driving routes. He notes that he targets certain parking lots and apartment complexes, and his company sells all the license plate location data to police, banks, and insurance companies. In the educator guidelines that uh, I have online, intriguing activities and discussion points are suggested. Does ALPR lead to uneven surveillance between groups? If so, which groups of people are more likely to be surveilled? Is it fair to target certain neighborhoods or parking lots with ALPR, as the repo man in the video claims to do? Should companies be legally allowed to collect license plates 
locations and pictures? Is it fair to use lo systematic location surveillance to fight fraud? The repo man in this video claims that using mobile ALPR cameras is just like walking down the street, recording plates with a pen and paper. Is this a valid claim? Another way to teach ethics is to have students examine gigapan images. I included the image on one of my recent posts off of a tower in China in a discussion in a course on modern GIS. But you could use any image like this. Are people's faces blurred? Can you see what's on dashboards of cars? If so, does it matter? How many people in a sample of 10 are on their phones? How many people's locations are being tracked with phone apps they are using? Issues of copyright such as, such as can I use this picture in my story map can be turned into effective instructional lessons in ethics. This fosters discussion about best practice, aided by my favorite decision-making graphic on this topic, of, again, available on the Spatial Reserves data block. Next, ask, should I use that picture? Not just can I use that picture, should I use that picture? Potential harm can occur to natural spaces, for example, as geotagged tourist photographs may result in a place being overloved with implications for rare and endangered species. There are several articles you can find online about this exact issue. Another way of teaching ethics is to foster a debate using the GIS Certification Institute's Code of Ethics. Pose a few scenarios and under each scenario ask students, when does the obligation to society outweigh the obligation to the employer, funder, or colleagues? Model good metadata strategies. First examine the metadata, then teach, number one, truth in labeling. It is the data producer's responsibility to include truth in labeling. And number two, fitness for use, or FFU. It is the data consumer's responsibility to determine if that data set is fit for use in their own project. Coupled with this is the point. More data is not necessarily better. That in itself is something we could discuss for the next hour on this podcast. Alas, we lack the time. But everyone is a data producer and a data consumer nowadays. So hence, all of these issues are more important than ever. Finally, students may ask, is, map, is my map right? Hmm, is my map right? It's not their fault. They've been conditioned in our educational system to, to ask this. Sigh. Two, days, two ways to respond. I don't know. Does it aid in your understanding of the issue? Or number two, can you justify the choices you have made in creating your map? In other words, pivot the discussion away from right or wrong to these other things. Think critically about maps and map data. Thank you, and I hope my remarks and examples are helpful today and will be useful resources in your own journey ahead, whether you're an instructor or a data practitioner or just a general public person interested in the ethics of geo-mapping, geotechnologies, and so on. Thanks for being with me.